Well, welcome to you. If you're listening on the internet, watching on the internet, we're glad you're here. Welcome all our campuses. Go by the new Linux campus and schoolhouse in Laraway Road. Going up great. Things are cranking. We're going to open that uh, at uh, Christmas time. It's going to be fantastic. All right, so, so what am I doing with the minions? Well, minions are servers. That's who they are. Um, that, that's who they're designed to be. And that's what Jesus told us we were designed to be. So that's kind of why we're doing the minions thing. Don't get me wrong. I don't like to be overserved, but I like to serve. I, I mean, I, I, don't like to, I, I don't like it when people are overdoing things to me. I, I kind of want to be in the middle somewhere. I think you do too. But, but honestly, if I'm getting down to it, I think I'd rather be served than serve, wouldn't you? I mean, just be honest. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I get that. I know you're sitting there right now. You're hoping that I'm going to serve you something, right? You're like, feed me, Seymour. You're like from Little Shop of the Horror. I, I get that, okay? And it's cool, and it's okay. I get it because I struggle with this too. I think this is the hardest thing that, that the Bible gives us to do. Pray? Yeah, I, can, I, I do that. I see the results. Read the Bible? Yeah, I, I mean, I think most of it's interesting. You know, I mean, sharing my faith, tithing, I don't have a problem with that because I've seen God work over and over again. But this serving thing, man, it's difficult. It's difficult for all of us. Everybody struggles with being selfish, even the people who hung out with Jesus. If you got your Bibles or your Bible on your phone or whatever, or Matthew 20 is where I'm going to hang out today. Matthew 20, the disciples are together. These are the people that have followed Jesus. They, <laughs> they've been following him for a long time, and they still don't get this. Really interesting passage because their mom gets involved. The mother of James and John, sons of Zebedee, two of the disciples, came to Jesus with their sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. And Jesus said, okay, what's your request? She replied, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you? One at your right and one at your left. What just happened there? Okay, I know you don't. I can't. You can't understand because the New Testament was written in Greek. But the Greek word for places of honor there is shotgun. I mean, literally, their mom calls shotgun. They don't even call shotgun. Their mom does. It's crazy, isn't it? Do you moms blame her though? I mean, you want the best for your kids. You know. You know what? This is like. This is like moms at T-ball, right? Going to talk to the coach. Come on, can you please let Johnny play? He's not that bad. That, that, that's what she's doing. That's exactly what she's doing. She's a good Jewish mother, and she says, look, my kids aren't going to be doctors. They're not going to be lawyers. There's no Olympic sport of fishing, you know, so they're not going to be in the Olympics. I would like for them to have places of honor, which is ironic because they did and they do and they will for eternity. But listen what happens. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were mad. Why were they mad? Were they mad because of James and John and their mom? Or were they mad because they didn't think of it? Oh, I should have got my mom here. As a matter of fact, you really, you really don't know. You can't really tell what's going on. But Jesus, what does he do? Jesus says, okay, hang on a second, time out. Let's take a time out here and let's talk about what it means to follow me. And that's why this is so important. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord over the people that are beneath them. A couple verses later, he says, but I, the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for me. So the question for the day is this, are we going to do what's natural or are we going to be like Jesus? And I think that's where this comes from. 
Okay? The natural thing in my life is I want, I want to be in charge. I don't want to be a minion. That's beneath me. You know, I'm not going to put on the, I'm not going to serve other people. I want other people to serve me. That's what's natural. So are we going to do that or are we going to be like Jesus? And, and here's what's fascinating about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. If anybody should have come to this earth and said, hey, serve me, be my minions, it would have been Jesus. But that's not what he did. I think what's most shocking about this is that Jesus is a guy, all right? Let's just be honest here, guys. The stats are that women are three times more likely to serve other people than men are, three times. You say, why is that? It's because they're better human beings. Can we just admit it? I can get an amen from you ladies. You can talk back to me. I mean, come on. I, I get it. Most guys just want to do the minimum. I love the story from Oklahoma. A guy, his wife broke her leg and he called 911. And she said, okay, well, what's your address? And, and he said, 419 Eucalyptus. She said, okay, could you spell that? He said, um, how about I drag her over to Oak Street and you pick her up there? <laughs> right, well, I mean, when you were a kid, I mean, you fell down and skinned your knee. Who did you run to, mom or dad? Right? You, you would walk right by dad. Hey, dad, how's it going? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. And then you walk in the kitchen, you'd be like, mommy, I got owie. Why is that? Why? What would dad say if you got hurt? Man up. It's, it's not that bad, right? Walk it off, right? Twist your ankle. What does dad say? Walk it off. Great. Thanks, dad. How about anybody get this one? Rub some dirt on it. I'm serious. My dad used to say that. I want to go, Dad, have you studied biology? Do you even know what you're saying? No, that, that's the problem. Men don't get this. And here's what's interesting. Jesus is a guy, and he's coming to call these guys around him, and they have trouble serving. And I think it's because all of us do. All of us do. And Jesus told us to serve. He gave us an example of serving. Why? Because God sent Jesus to this earth to be the light of the world. And the only way he could be the light of the world is if it was attractive. And the only thing that is attractive is somebody who isn't thinking about themselves. They're thinking about other people. And that's who Jesus told us to be. But among you, it should be different. You know that there are kings and tyrants and, and CEOs and people who think that they're important, who like to lord it over everybody else. But among you, it must be different. So the question is, are we going to do what's natural or are we going to be like Jesus? Jesus said, your attitude must be like my own. I did not come to be served, but to serve. Being a disciple of Jesus means you are going to be a servant. So please, don't put a fish on the back of your car. Don't wear your WWJD bracelet and your Christian t-shirts, and then walk around and act like everybody ought to serve you. You're just creating another barrier to get in the way of God and his lost children. At least be like me and just don't put a fish on your car so nobody knows, okay? That, that, that's better. Because honestly, Jesus, we're supposed to be like Jesus, and if we're supposed to be like Jesus, that means he's our, he's our trainer, okay? And we watch him, and we see what he does, and we try to emulate that. As opposed to this video, which is one of the funniest things, 60 million hits of this video on YouTube of a woman who obviously doesn't understand working out. Isn't that great? 
Any, any personal trainers in here listening to me right now? Okay. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? Anybody done any training? Anybody actually had anybody show you how to use that machine? Right? That's not right. <laughs> She's not doing anything. Okay. She's not working anything out. Did you see the guy behind her? That's what I love. The guy's just standing there like, are you serious? And that's, that's the hope that, that, that symbolizes it for me. We got Christians that are like, I'm a Christian. Look at me. I'm a Christian. And the people of the world are like, seriously, I, I really, I don't see it. That's not working. Okay. Now, now if you're, if you're, if you're here today and you're like, oh, you're listening to me now, I'm not a Christian. I don't have to listen to you. That's okay. I get it. Take the spiritual stuff out of it for a second. Think about the people you know that are the happiest, the healthiest, the most secure people that you know, aren't they people who usually think more about others than they do about themselves? United Health Group did a survey of thousands of people and asked them about volunteering, okay? Look at the stats. 76% said volunteering has made them feel healthier. 94% said volunteering improved their mood because you're taking the focus off yourself. 78 said that volunteer, volunteering lowered their stress levels. 96% re- reported that volunteering enriched their sense of purpose in life, because we're made to serve. I'm going to talk about that. 25%, this is unbelievable, 25% said volunteering has helped manage a chronic illness by keeping them active and taking their minds off their own problems. I don't take the spiritual stuff away from it. Volunteers have better scores on nine well-established measures of emotional well-being, including personal independence, capacity for rich interpersonal relationships, and an overall, sat- overall satisfaction with life. We know this. I mean, you look around, you get this. We understand. We know. So, so what do you want in life? Do you, do, you, do you want to be that Lord over person? Do you want to do what's natural and have people not like you because you're always looking down on them? Or are you going to serve? Jesus says, if you want to have a good, rich life, then you serve. It's that simple. I'm not using this movie because I think you all are minions. I'm not evil. Jesus isn't evil. I mean, that's what the minions were all about. They were trying to find somebody that was evil. Finally, they end up, you know, doing a good thing at the end. You don't have to know the plot of the movie. It doesn't matter. But there's some clips in here that are, that are really important, like this one. You were created to serve. Please don't forget that. Here's the, that's the truth. You were created. Here's what the Bible says. We are what God has made us, what he created in Christ Jesus to do for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. You were created, all right? We are, we were created to be a tool, all right? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're a tool. (laughs) You've been wanting to do that for a while, haven't you? I know, that's awesome, right? (laughs) What, what, What is a tool supposed to do? A tool is supposed to do something. You don't invite people over to look at your hammer collection. You use a hammer to drive a nail. That's what we were made for. And if we don't do that, we're going to be unfulfilled. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, each of us should use whatever gift he's received to what? To make money, to make a name for himself. No, you should use whatever gift you've been given to serve others. 
In the, in the church world, we call that ministry. And I think sometimes that gets confusing for people because people are like, you know, a minister has got a robe and a collar. And, you know, some of you grew up thinking that there were like this official status group of people that were supposed to do work for God. And then everybody else just kind of paid for it and showed up every once in a while. But the Bible says every believer is a minister. You are a tool. I am a tool. We are all created to do the things that God wanted us to do. So in order to fix that problem, every once in a while around here, I like to just ordain everyone into ministry. So uh, I'm going to do that right now. I want you to go ahead and get on your knees. And, and, and come on, you, you grew up Catholic. You know how to do this. Get on your knees right now. I'm serious. Get on your knees. You at home in your underwear, get on your knees. Nobody's going to notice. If somebody's there, just stay in your chair. All right, are you ready? I'm going to ordain you. This is, this is going to be a moment for you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. I ordain thee. All right, you're done. Sit down. That's good. You're done. Seriously, I mean, what, 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 is, what is a minister? Now, please don't park in the clergy spots at the hospital because those other people, those other guys are going to get mad at me if I do that, Okay. But what, there's no difference, okay? You're, everybody is supposed to do ministry. That's what we do. We do this all together. That's what the Bible says. So here's the question for us. If, if we're supposed to do ministry, if we just got ordained into ministry, this is awesome, what does it look like? What does it look like to serve like Jesus? And the first thing is we're available. One day Jesus is walking along the road. Two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. I want you to notice this. And Jesus stopped. He stopped. I just think that's really important. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Rick Warren says a lot of people want to study the steps of Jesus. I think we ought to study the stops of Jesus. How many times did Jesus stop in ministry? Almost every miracle that Jesus did was he was on his way somewhere and somebody showed up and he stopped. It, he was never like looking at his watch going, oh, I got an appointment at 145. I'm supposed to, you know, go to the pool of Bethesda and heal those blind people. He was just there. He just stopped. He allowed himself to be interrupted. I think that's probably the problem for most of us. Can, can, can I just be honest? It's my problem. It's not that, that you don't want to be a person who serves and helps your fellow man. It's not that you, you don't believe that it would be better for you. It's just that we don't have time for it. The Bible says, never tell your neighbors to wait till tomorrow if you can help them now. That's what servant-hearted people do. That's what Jesus did. They're available. All right? Second, serving like Jesus means being humble. I read this scripture at Every wedding I do, and it doesn't have anything to do with marriage. It's just a brilliant way to live. Your attitude, this is for all of us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. He came all the way down from heaven, and when he got here, he became still a servant. And the problem that I see with humility in, in, the, in the kingdom of God is on both sides of it. Some people, you know, they don't have enough humility, and some people have too much, all right? Some people, don't, some people don't have enough humility. There's too much pride in their life, and that has to do usually with those of us who think, well, I need to be important. I'm an important person, and I need to do the things that are important. And, and that's just another way of, of, of calling it pride. The Bible says, throw yourself into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Nothing you do for him. 
is, is a waste. All the little things matter. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name to a child, that counts. I got to tell you, it was fun for me to walk out last night in between services and see a, a good friend of mine, a woman who has been the head of a very prestigious department at a very prestigious university who just walked away from that, just retired from that job, and she was walking up out of the basement here at this Orland campus where she had been checking in kids in the fourth and fifth grade. I mean, this is a very, very intelligent, very sweet lady who's given her life for a lot of people along the way, and she retired, and now she's checking in fourth and fifth graders. I, I would, we have a judge that's working green team in the, in the fourth and fifth grade. I mean, he's working security in the, in, in the in fourth and fifth grade, a judge. I think it's probably good because then, like, if one of these kids shows up in his courtroom at some point, you know, he's like, hey, dude, I know you from Parkview, and you'll, you know, you see what I'm saying? All of those little, I love that. I mean, these important people, right? Important people that, that are doing jobs that seem like they're not important, but it's because they understand the difference between significance and prominence. They're not the same thing. My nose is prominent, okay? Some of your noses are even more prominent, okay? But I could lose my nose and still live the rest of my life because it's prominent, but it's not significant. Voldemort. However, I said it. There I did. I, lo I love saying that. However, there are things on the inside of me that are not significant. They're not prominent, but they are significant. If I have an achy, breaky heart, that's a bad deal, right? You're not going to see it, but if it's not going well, you're going to know it. And a lot of people think that if something is visible, that must be what's important, like the things that I do and the people on stage. And I want to tell you that it's the things that everybody does because we all do ministry. I always remember the story from back in North Carolina, way back in the day, two young boys went to a revival service one night. Um, back, back in those days, they'd have these preachers would come in and there would be some kind of a you know big service and all these people came out and these two teenage boys they showed up at the end uh, you know at the at, at the service as it was like as it was like starting and they couldn't get in because it was so full and and, and they started to walk out again and an usher said hang on a second I'll, I'll find you seats and so you know it was before the sermon was starting that he, he moved in you know how it is scooted people around and, and finally got him two seats those two boys, true story, accepted Christ that night into their life, and one of those boys was Billy Graham. Tens of millions of people came to the Lord because a preacher preached a good sermon. Yeah, he probably did. But it never would have happened if the usher hadn't found him a seat. See what I mean? I mean, that, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we have no idea of the significance of the small acts that we do. And I think it's going to be more like the fact that, that the big noses of us in the kingdom, like myself, when we get to heaven, we're going to be living in a van down by the river. And the nursery workers and the people who stand out in the parking lot when it's 30 below and get flipped off and, 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 and the ushers and the people who do the acts of service that you don't know about, they're going to be in the mansions. And I'm going to go to their house to watch the games. That's what's going to happen. That's how it ought to be. Rick Warren said, there are no insignificant ministries in the church. He said, the most important light in my house is not the big chandelier that you see when you walk in. It's a tiny little nightlight that keeps me from stubbing my toe when I get up at night. His wife says it's the light in the refrigerator, but that's the different story. You see what I mean? Some people go to the extreme and they think, well, I can, I, I only need to do, I can only do what's important. If I can't do what's important, then I must not be needed. 
Other people, however, take humility too far and don't think they have anything to give. Here's another version of Ephesians 2.20. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Remember, you're a tool which God prepared in advance for us to do. Don't sell yourself short. God called Moses to be his leader and lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, uh, 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 I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't have good speech. I stutter. I, I'm not a good leader. I can't do this, Lord. I can't, I can't possibly lead your people. You know what's interesting about that? Most of us would say, well, you know, I, I mean, at least he's being humble, right? And, and you would think that God's reaction would be, well, Moses, that's really sweet. I'm proud of you for being humble, but I really think you can do this. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the wrath of God was kindled against Moses because of his lack of faith. In other words, God didn't say, oh, Moses, you're so sweet. God said, Moses, I created you. Don't tell me what you can do and what you can't do. I made you to be this instrument, and I'm calling you to be this instrument, to be this tool. You are God's workmanship. Now go do something about it. Because Christianity is not a spectator sport. So we got these cards in your bulletin. Take them out, will you? I want you to see them. Um, Just try it. We do this every once in a while because, you know, a lot of times we just need volunteers and we need to try to get people signed up. And I, I thought, you know, I, I, I guess we could handle it that way because we're always needing volunteers, especially at the 1230 service we always do. But we, we don't even have things for you to check on here. This is for you. I promise you, your life is going to be better. Even if you don't believe in Jesus and the spiritual stuff is off the plate, forget about it. It doesn't matter. This is for you. And, and, and we're going to personalize it. Instead of checking a little thing or whatever, if you fill this out, throw it in the offering when it comes by, give them to somebody on your way out the door and one of those places where the balloons are, somebody will contact you. Just email whatever. They'll email you and they say, hey, what's your interest? What do you like to do? You like to work with kids? Do you, you want to figure out how to run one of these cameras? I mean, what, what, what is it that you think God has gifted you to do? We'll help you find it, and we'll plug you in, and your life will be better. Yeah, it's going to be cool. We'll all get to work together. All those things are going to be great, but it will help you. That's why I'm making this available for you. Fill it out. Throw it in the offering when it goes by, because when we work together, stuff happens. Um, there's an uh, obligatory puppy picture in every sermon, so here it is. Um, working together. This is what happens. Oh, I know. No kitty pictures, just puppy pictures. We're working together. We can, we can change the world. And that's the beauty of a large church. I mean, I love the things that we can do when we're together. And the problem is most people come in and think, well, they don't need me. There's nothing else going. You know, they got people to do this. No, if we work together, it's going to be amazing. Synergy is amazing. There was a there was a perfect illustration of this I read several years ago from an Iowa State Fair where they were doing a, a horse pull, you know, to see whose horse was the strongest and could pull the most weight. That's legitimately a thing. It's not in the Olympics, but it is at state fairs, okay? And the winning horse pulled 4,500 pounds. A second horse, second place horse, pulled 4,400 pounds. So somebody thought, well, I wonder what would happen if we put them together. If you don't get math, it would be, you would think it would be 9,000 pounds, right? They both pulled about half of that. They put them together and they pulled 12,000 pounds together. It's a very simple concept of synergy and what happens when we work together. And that's what we believe. That's why we want you to go represent Jesus and to serve. 
The bonus, call before midnight tonight, the bonus is that serving gives you community. I love hearing my, uh, my son-in-law's dad, who's part of our church and on our parking lot team. I love, I mean, we'll be, we'll be together and he'll get a text from somebody on the parking team, you know, hey, pray about this or hey, we got this thing going on. I mean, there's community, there's things going on. And obviously next week I'm talking about the Martian. So we got to talk a little bit more about why we need each other and how that works. But, but you can have that built in. There's a power of something that happens that's remarkable in your life and in everybody else's when we work together. Minions. They found their purpose, and they served, and they finally ended up, you know, saving the world from the evil dictator. All of it turned out great. What I love about that scene, and what I love about the Olympics, is the fact that we're going to be doing this together. I love it when, you know, somebody wins an Olympic medal, and they're standing out. There's some great stories. I've loved it. But I really love it when a team can be up there together, a relay team or whatever, and they can say, we did this together. And that's what I believe serving is supposed to look like, the power of working together. So one more. Serving like Jesus means being faithful. Jesus came down to earth and said, all right, I'm about to be done, Lord. I'm about to be done, Father. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work, completing the work you gave me to do. I want you to be able to say that. I I want you to be able to say when you get to heaven, hey, I completed the work. You made me an instrument, and I completed the work. Jesus didn't give up. He kept going. He kept doing it. And if you're going to be like Jesus, it's going to mean you're serving. And you're never going to retire from that. Can I say something to those of us who are in that senior category now, you know, and some of you are retiring and, and, and some of you are thinking about retiring? You know what that gives you? That gives you the opportunity to either A, improve your golf game, or B, serve and do more. And maybe, maybe all your life that's who you've been, but maybe now is a great opportunity to step it up. There's no retirement in the Bible. That's not, not a biblical concept. We're always supposed to serve. And what the Bible says is the one thing that is required of servants is that they be faithful. We're faithful. You take what God's given you, you use it, and we're faithful. We're going we're gonna to do a song just to... I don't know. It's just kind of it's just kind of weird. We just do weird stuff every once in a while. You can't do this. You can't do this serving thing if you're like at least my age and not think of Bob Dylan cuz Bob Dylan at some point was smoking something weird and he wrote this cool song about serving. And so since uh Howerton was here, we're making him cover it. <laughs> you got to serve somebody. Amen. Somebody asked if that was on their new album. No, it's not on their new album, okay? But their new album's awesome. You ought to get it on your way out of here. Do, do you know that Jordan is my wife's cousin? I mean, that's, that's a true story. I know it sounds like something a guy from Oklahoma would say about somebody from Missouri. But he's my wife's cousin. That's obviously the only reason we let him play here. <laughs> How about it for the Jordan Howerton Band? Come on. Awesome, man. Awesome cousin. So... Elizabeth Sherrill is a writer in New York, and she was looking out her window, sitting at her computer one day when a skunk came by. And um, it was in her yard. She, you know, you can't help but notice a white and black streak, but this skunk had what looked like a yellow helmet on. And, and she looked a little closer, and it was a, it was a Yo Play yogurt carton. The skunk had been digging around, getting the last of the yogurt out from somebody's trash, and it was stuck on his head and it was just running around. So she 
called animal control. She's like, well, what do I do? I mean, I don't want a skunk in my yard anyway, but what do I do? And they said, well, you need to help the skunk get the, the carton off its head. And she's like, well, what if it sprays me? And the guy from animal control said, well, he won't spray you because he can't see you. <laughs> but what happens when I take the yogurt carton off? She said there was a pause on the other end, and he said, well, just try not to make the skunk feel threatened. So she said she went back, you know, looked for him. He wasn't there, so she went back inside thinking everything was over. Sure enough, here he comes again. And without thinking, she said, I just ran outside, and I grabbed the little skunk, and I pulled the carton off his head and stared at him. Just stared at him. She said, he stared at me for about 10 seconds, just trying not to make him feel threatened. I don't know. Hi, little skunky. I don't know what you do. He didn't spray her. He just kind of looked at her, turned around, and walked off. And that was the end of the story. But she said it was a timeless parable for me. She said, I think now that that skunk represented all those needs I hesitate to get involved in. Involvement takes time, and I have deadlines to make, and I might not be able to do it anyway, and somebody else can probably do it better. And besides, involvement could be ugly, and the stench might rub off on you. And all those things, of course, may be true, she wrote. But I've got a little yellow Yo-Play pencil holder on my desk, rather scratched and battered one, to remind me that every now and then God answers a need with me. That's all I'm saying. Me, me too, you, all of us, that's how it happens. Into the story with the disciples, they did finally get it after Jesus died. But even three years in, even when they get to the Last Supper, which is what we're about to commemorate right now as we do communion they get to the last supper and there's nobody there to wash feet and if you don't know that was a very important thing because they reclined together as they ate and there was supposed to be somebody there to wash feet and the feet washer person didn't show up and none of the disciples after three years with Jesus you would think that one of them would go oh this is an opportunity to serve because just think about how many times we would have read about one of the disciples picking up a towel and washing feet by now if that would have happened, but it didn't. So Jesus walks in, he looks around, he says, well, I guess I'm going to do it. And he took off his outer cloak and he bent down and he started to wash feet, which is fascinating because then the disciples are like, no, 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 Lord, you can't wash our feet. No, 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 you're, you're too important for that. I mean, that James guy who asked his mom to call shotgun, yeah, he could wash my feet, but no, not you. You're too important. And Jesus said, no, I, I, I need to do this. And so he, he bent down and he washed their feet. And here's what I love about this passage. John 13, 1 says, Having showed his own, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And he bent down and he washed their feet. Full extent of his love. Full extent of our love is when we serve. The full extent of God's love was sending his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the full extent of Jesus was washing feet. It was stopping. It was being available. It was being humble. It was using his gifts. It was serving. And then it was going to the cross to die so that you and I could be freed from our sins. We could live forever with him in our mansion, band down by the river, whatever he did all that for us. We're going to do that now. We're going to celebrate communion now. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray that you'll be with us as we do this now. It's just a good reminder to me 
I think that available part's probably the one that hits all of us because maybe we're trying to be too humble and don't think we have enough gifts or, or maybe we're prideful and think we need to only do the important stuff. But I think for the most part, it's just we need to make some time to stop and serve. Be with us as we do that. And Lord, for all of us, we are thankful for your example. We're thankful for salvation, that you would come and make it available for us. And we commemorate what you did for us now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.